0: What we're going to do right here is go back, way back, back into time.
1: Hello, my friend, and welcome to another episode from the WW Radio Archives. I am Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 761. And this and every week, I'm going to select an evergreen episode of the show to share that maybe you haven't heard before, or one that you haven't heard in a long time from interviews to top 10s, relevant reviews, guides, wayback machines, and much more. It's a great way to visit and revisit some of our favorite episodes, including ones that you have suggested that I share from the archives. This week's episode is brought to you by HelloFresh, because it is the most wonderful time of the year, and you can say hello to a stressless holiday season with the help of HelloFresh, America's and mine number one meal kit. You can skip the grocery store and save time with easy fresh tasty recipes delivered right to your door and save money because the delicious meals that are delivered cost less than takeout and if you're hosting the holidays this year like me do not fear the ghosts of christmas past and scrambling through a crowded grocery store trying to get and prepare whatever is left on the shelves and if you're nervous because we all have that one relative that's going to judge you anyway this year you could make hosting the holidays a joy rather than a hassle with the help of hello fresh market from crowd-pleasing charcuterie boards to instagram worthy desserts it is easy to add all of these party pleasers to your weekly order saving you so much time and money and stress at least until all of your relatives get there, but HelloFresh has over 45 recipes and more than 100 seasonal add-on items to choose from every week, so it's easier than ever to find something that everyone is gonna enjoy. We have been ordering and enjoying HelloFresh at my house for years. Whether the whole family is home or we just need healthy meals for two, it's easy, fast, and I love the wide varieties of dishes to try. And there's a special offer just for you. If you go to hellofresh.com slash WDWFREE and use code WDWFREE, you get free breakfast for life. I'm serious, one breakfast item per box while your subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life, two of my favorite words, free and breakfast for life by going to hellofresh.com slash WDWFREE using code WDWFREE so i'm going to open up the archives again this week as we celebrate the birth of walt disney on december 5th and the grand opening of dreamers point in epcot on the same date it is beautiful by the way spectacular at night we're going to embark on a special episode from the archives because we're going to go back to show number 298 and embark on a magical journey of finding walt in walt disney world our mission is to uncover the hidden gems and intricate details and some of the heartfelt tributes that pay homage to Walt, the visionary pioneer who sparked this incredible world of wonder. And as we virtually visit the parks, we're gonna connect the sight and sounds, and yes, maybe even tastes around us with the legacy and the spirit of the man who dreamt it all into an existence. It is a fun, fascinating exploration as we seek out the essence of Walt in every corner of his magical kingdom, where every step tells a story and every detail has a purpose. And I'd love to know from you, what would be the one question you would ask Walt Disney if you could? You can let me know by sharing your thoughts over in the WW Radio Clubhouse at wwwcom slash clubhouse, or better yet, call the voicemail with your answer at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1, and share your answer, and I will play it on the show. But for now... Sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode from the archives on the WW Radio Show.
0: This, the initial stage here has
1: to top what we have, or at least the equivalent of what we have now in California.
0: Welcome to a little bit of Florida here in California. This is where the early planning is taking place for our so-called Disney World project. Everything in this room may change time and time again as we move ahead, but the basic philosophy of what
1: we're planning for Disney World is going to remain very much as it is right now. We know what our goals are. We know what we hope to accomplish.
0: And believe me, it's the most exciting and challenging assignment we've ever tackled At Walt Disney Productions.
1: Walt Disney World is all about story and details, and over the years, I've looked to introduce you to many of those throughout the parks and resorts. And we've looked to see how real history has come to life, our childhood stories that have been retold on a three dimensional stage, and peeled back some of the many layers of the onion to reveal the incredible attention to detail and storytelling that the Imagineers have woven into the very fabric of everything we see and experience. And along the way, we've also been introduced to some of the many remarkable people who've helped make that happen, from Disney legends to Imagineers, to those people that continue to make magic every single day. But this week, I want to look at where it all really began. Not with a mouse, but with a man. So today, I invite you to join me on a quest to find Walt as we seek out and discuss tributes to Walt Disney, the man in Walt Disney World. And joining me this week is Jamie Hecker. He is a lifelong Disney fan who, being the good father that he is, is passing on his love of Disney to his kids. He also is a contributor to Celebrations Magazine, so I want to welcome Jamie to the show.
0: Hey, great to be here, Lou. Thank you very much.
1: It's great to have you on, buddy, and I I think this is a great idea. We've talked about this sort of offline in the past before, because I've done shows about... Walt Disney One Man's Dream and, and some of the other things that we're going to touch on today. But I really sort of, you know, we all have this, this love and respect and almost reverence for Walt Disney. But of course, most of the people who come to the parks, like us, have are probably not alive to see Walt on TV. Uh, and believe it or not, though, part of what was the inspiration for this was, believe it or not, some people actually still think of him as a fictional character.
0: That's right. Uh, I was fortunate to be alive briefly when he was alive, and I saw him on the Wonderful World of Disney every Sunday night in recorded form. But there's current generations of of park guests who don't know about him. I was had the good fortune of going to Disney World last spring with my six-year-old uh, twins, and I realized that to them this is a brand-new, exciting world, and I... Hard to to believe that they may not know the entire rich history of Walt Disney, the man. They know that it's a brand. They know it's a company, as other guests do. But Walt Disney was a man before it all began.
1: Yeah, and I think some people are saying, you know, this is impossible. You know, that's not true. It's impossible, to quote Luke Skywalker. But it is true. And there's actually a quote from Tim O'Day, who many of you who are familiar with uh, D23. He is a, uh, a famous Disney historian, He says that, you know, a lot of people even today don't realize that he was a real person. They think he was a made-up character or a brand figure like the Quaker Oats guy or Or Betty Crocker. Betty
0: Crocker took my words there, yes.
1: And so he tells a story about how a uh, reporter went up to the partner statue, obviously the, the statue of Walt of Mickey that we'll talk about today, and he asks some kids to identify the two figures in that statue. He said every kid, of course, recognized Mickey Mouse, but they had no idea who the person was, right? And he, so he says, too many people have no idea who the flesh and blood Walt Disney was. And if we can grasp the lessons of his life, the world would be a much better place. Tim O'Day, once again, I agree with you.
0: Great quote. Great quote there.
1: Yeah, and yeah. You, you've mentioned, you know, sort of this was sort of maybe the catalyst for not just stuff we're going to see in the parks, but this sort of helped bring about the creation of the Walt Disney Family Museum.
0: That's correct. Yeah, the uh, the director Richard Benfield was um, quoted as saying, "Part of the motivation to come up with the the museum to Walt the person was to address the public perception that he was uh, a character created by the company level, uh, not a real person, just a, something like we said, Betty Crocker."
1: Yeah, and I'm sure many people sort of scratch their heads, and and people who knew Walt has that's got to be frustrating for them because one of the greatest benefits of doing the show and what I've done is getting a chance to meet and interview people that have met Walt and worked with Walt and knew him well. And you see how they still speak about him with such reverence and such love and respect to the point that it elicits an emotional response. So when they probably hear the fact that some people today still don't realize that there was a man behind this and he's not the the Quaker Oats guy, um, it's got to be frustrating. But that's one of the reasons why I think what we're going to do today is going to be a lot of fun because I think there's a lot of different ways Walt has been brought to the parks in tribute, in physical form, in subtle reference. So what I thought we would do is go park by park and then maybe sort of End on what may be kind of that ultimate tribute to Walt Disney. So I think it's uh, fitting that we start really where it all began in the Main Street on Main Street USA. Um, and I'll sort of kick this off by saying, rather than me looking at it when I when I was thinking about these tributes in the parks and going park by park, as I was taking sort of a virtual tour of Main Street in my head, the first thing I thought of was not something specific, but it was all of Main Street itself, right? Because it's not a recreation of it, but it very much was inspired by and modeled after his idealized memories of Marceline, Missouri.
0: Yes, he lived there for four years, but they're very informative, uh, catalytic years for Walt. Marceline was the idyllic uh, small-town America to him, and it stayed with him the rest of his life. And it uh, served as the inspiration uh, working with Harper Goff and his memories of, of Fort Collins, Colorado, and putting together the idyllic Main Street, and that uh, first on Disneyland, then in Disney World.
1: Yeah, and if you look at pictures of Marceline and sort of their their Main Street, Kansas Avenue, you could see how it influences some of the architectural elements of uh, Main Street, primarily in, in Disneyland, but even in Walt Disney World as well, too. So it, it's not, you know, I think a lot of people think this is where Walt grew up, but it's not. It's it very much, look, Walt Disney loved America. He believed in America. He lived, he literally lived the American dream. So this idea of this idealized turn of the century, small town, Main Street, is USA with simple buildings and things like that really very much harkens back to Walt Disney himself.
0: Yes. Yes, it does. And, um, uh, even before you enter Main Street, you're actually walking under the, uh, Walt Disney, World, Walt Disney World Railroad uh, Station, and the railroad itself is, is a manifestation of, of Walt the Man, how his childhood in Marceline, his uh, teenage years in Kansas City working on, on the railroad lines as a, as a news butcher. Um, the railroad really does give us a, uh, a sense of Walt the Man uh, in the park, <laughs> beginning I, with a Carowet Pacific in his backyard that uh, that's something that he carried forward to all the parks
1: and I think when you look at the train station <clears throat> excuse me um It does represent so much and when you think about things like the coward Pacific and we all know the story about this one-eighth scale model I think this is not only a reference to Walt, but oh also very understanding wife Lillian So when he (laughs) says listen by the way, I want to build this thing in the backyard She's like just fine do whatever you want just build it with your you know Your tunnels and your mountains and things like that uh, up in the Holmby Hills section of, of Los Angeles, but even beyond the cow wood itself and what it represented to Walt on a personal level from his love of trains, how it now encircles every uh, of the Disney theme parks. There's even more that you can find on the railroad itself and inside the rail station.
0: Yes. Yes, there are. Uh, we're we'll starting talk about the other uh, train locomotive. Number one with the Walter E. Disney, uh, Beautiful, uh, beautiful, beautiful train, and his wife, his patient and loving wife, uh, gets a <laughs> own t- train as well. It's only fitting, the Lily, uh, Lily Bell, and uh, Roy O. Disney, the brother who made it all happen uh, behind the scenes uh, in terms of making the dream come alive. He gets his own train as well, and of course, Walter Roger Brogy has uh, the fourth train
1: yeah, and one of these days, I have and I intend to do a show about Roy, um because I think Roy very much not only are there are many references to Roy as well, but I think his story needs to be shared as well. But yeah, so that that number one train that Walter e. Disney, I think one of the things that makes I think there is something special about the train. And look, I've been to Walt Disney World hundreds and hundreds of times, but there's something still that is special about that. I don't know if it's because, These are authentic, you know, early 1920s locomotives that Disney found in the Yucatan Peninsula. Well, because it is that close connection to Walt Disney uh, that does it. But even inside the train, like there's – you can see Walt's personal love of trains. You can see – his connection to the Santa Fe Railroad. There's great storytelling in the train bulletins referencing not only Disney films, but Walt's love of trains. And like you said, people like uh, a Ward Kimball or a Roger Brogy.
0: Absolutely. And, and it's not just the trains themselves. It's the sounds of the trains, the sights. You don't have to be there in the park. You can hear the train whistle and you're instantly transported there. And so that is how it all comes together for me. I, I will watch videos and just listen to the train whistle. Yeah, there's, there's something,
1: there. a simple pleasure, a simple sort of romantic pleasure, <clears throat> excuse me, about riding the train. But, you know, as lo- before we even move into Magic Kingdom, we might as well reference one of the multiple uh, other physical references to Walt Disney. And that's on the train station itself, even before you pass under. That, that first movie, you know, that movie credit that goes to Walt Disney.
0: Yes, and that uh, it's and it's probably enough. It's to guess when you walk in the park, the first thing you see is Main Street, and then Cinderella Castle. Behind you is is the first uh, reference to Walt, and it's it's nicely tucked away, and it does a great job of talking about uh, the reason that you're there, Walt, Walt Disney, the man.
1: Yeah, so if you keep this idea of a movie theater analogy in your head, when you first walk into the Magic Kingdom, you're sort of standing there in the lobby, and when a film starts, the first thing you see is the name of the producer, the the producer or director, and that's Walt Disney. And on the railroad station, the first window you see, it says, keeping dreams on track walter e disney chief engineer again referencing his love of trains it's the first one you see on your way in it's the last one you see on your way out and that holds true when you walk into the park and walk down to cinderella castle because as you turn and start walking out you'll see the second reference to walt disney over the ice cream store and that reads graduate school of design and master planning
0: yeah master what a masterful job he did and uh I I can't you know it's just finding those 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 tender references within the park and seeing that up there and knowing that there is a reason why it's all put together.
1: And I think like a lot of the windows on Main Street, what what the inscription, what the tagline is for it as well too, not only necessarily may reference the person or what they did, but I think this one is very telling because I think that's what Walt Disney. Was He was a designer. He was a master planner. Look, he was admittedly not the best artist in the world, but what no. he did, what made he, him and this company successful is he surrounded himself by the people who he knew were the best at what they did. And the other names that are, are around this window are names like Richard Irvine and John Hench and Marvin Davis and Bill Martin and Chuck Mile, all these guys who worked for WED that helped sort of bring you know, everything we see in the Magic Kingdom together.
0: And General Joe Potter as well. Built the magic.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So when we were talking about this before, we said, yeah, you know, you said, yeah, there's there's two windows on Main Street. And I said, no, there's actually three. And this is one that I like showing to people because I think it's one that's often overlooked but is one of my favorite windows. Even though it's not really a window, it's kind of a door. Because in 2005, uh, if you look – uh, by Disney Clothiers on the west side of Main Street, USA, there is a casting agency door that honors all the current and former cast members. And so while all the winners you see on Main Street honor Disney legends, people who were instrumental in the in the building of the company and the literal building of Walt Disney World, Walt Disney is mentioned here as founder and director emeritus. And the quote is one that I love, and I think that, this, Jamie, I'm sure you agree, is what makes Disney different It takes people to make the dream a reality.
0: You can't do it without the people. Absolutely.
1: And the funnel cakes. You can't do it without (laughs) the people and the funnel. That's really what Walt was talking about, was the people and the funnel cakes. And some doll whips, too. (laughs) (laughs) There's your obligatory food reference. There you go. It didn't take very long to get that in. So moving down uh,
0: Main Street, I guess toward the hub is the partner statue. Um, This is a... An actual manifestation. You talked about it. How uh, how kids were interviewed, and, and I know who Mickey Mouse is, but who's the the other gentleman? And Blaine Gibson, um, masterful sculptor for Disney, put together um, uh, the love and tribute to Walt here, and it's a great photo opportunity when it's not crowded around it, and it's it's a nice way to to um, put it all together
1: yeah, and I think you know this is what people, I think, when they think of tributes to Walt is most logically the first thing that comes to mind. and And look, there's a great history and a great backstory to this. I want to reference you to show number two nineteen, where we actually did a very detailed look, sort of a Disney scene investigation on the partner statue. But beyond looking at the statue itself and the details that are on it, like the reference to Smoke Tree Ranch and the clatter ring that was very personal to he and Lillian, you know, read, the, read things like the plaque where it says, We believe in our idea, a family park where parents and children can have fun together. And if you listen to the show, you'll learn about how this was, was inspired by uh, a, a print that was created in 1981 and then eventually this desire to create a statue for Disneyland and Walt Disney World. But I think, Jamie, one of the things that's important about this is how and when Walt was depicted, you know, because when people talk about, you know, a movie about Walt or an audio animatronic Walt, how and where do you you, do do it? And Gibson wanted to really make Walt appear not as he was very late in his life or very early in his life, like the storyteller statue out at uh, Disney California Adventure on Buena Vista Street. But this is really like Walt, like Walt in like the mid to early 1950s, 1954, 1955, really Uh, when Walt was sort of at his prime.
0: Absolutely. That's like when they're hitting on all, all cylinders, the company, the man, the dreams.
1: Yeah, and one of the, the things I love about the story, too, is, uh, again, the, the many different incarnations that the statue went through about what he was going to be doing, was going to be by himself, was going to be with Mickey, was going to be with Lillian, standing, sitting. And there's a lot of different iterations where Walt was holding plans for Epcot or Mickey was holding a an ice cream cone in his hand. But I think the story about how they were able to determine the reference point for how tall Mickey Mouse was <laughs> is really interesting because they never had it. They never really saw Mickey with a an adult human, except for one thing, and that was in Fantasia, when Leopold Salkowski leaned leaned over.
0: Absolutely, and that's your reference point there.
1: Yeah, and, and the other thing too is it's it, it's a it's a little bit skewed because Walt was about five ten. This statue is about six five. Again, just to give it a sense of scale. So.
0: Larger than life. Force I, perspective.
1: I need people to do that with, with pictures of me. They need to, I need to look taller than I really am in real I have to get Blaine Gibson down here. Yeah, well, it
0: helps if you have a pedestal also in the- That's
1: right. <laughs> um, And I think maybe one thing that I wanted to reference, which may not be something as you sort of go through in your mind, references to Walt, is actually in the castle itself. Because you look at the castle, and it is Cinderella Castle, obviously. But I think it, it's important to note... That the castle suite, which is located in there now, that Disney put in um, in 2006 to make that that castle suite that they used for a Year of a Million Dreams, that originally was planned to be an apartment for the Disney family. Obviously, there's one in Dis- there's an apartment in Disneyland over the train station. This was meant to be one for the Disney family. Obviously, because he passed away so early in the development, they left that space there, and it was used for a number of different uh, pl- things like. Where the telephone operators were in yep. storage, but ideally, that's where Walt, Walt's apartment was supposed to be.
0: And that's this is the top item on my Disney bucket list. I don't know how I'll get up there, but that will be that will end everything for me. Just <laughs> just, just getting up there and seeing that that prime location and the views of the park, and just knowing the history of, of it all. Um, that you know, he's not there to enjoy it. The family's not there, but uh, that it was. Created uh, with him in mind um, for the for the East Coast East Coast Park, that uh, that's very telling.
1: Absolutely. So so let's stay in the Magic Kingdom because believe it or not, there's actually a lot more even beyond Main Street in the Castle.
0: Well, uh, keeping in the family tradition, uh, Walt himself has uh, obviously a rich genealogy heritage. Uh, his paternal grandfather Keppel Disney has a couple of tributes within the park, and uh, Keppel had has a nice Germanic-sounding name to it. It's actually Irish. And it's a small, uh, it's not even a plaque. It's more of a a decorative heart. It's uh, the Dutch-American tradition, given the the, the backstory of the German family that lives here. And it uh, says Keppel, established 1779. Fits in beautifully with the story of Liberty Square and uh, the Old Christmas shop. But Keppel, there's a nod to Walt's grandfather.
1: And, and I love this one and I think this is one that so many people walk by and it's difficult to make the connection because Keppel, they don't know, is it a, is it a surname? Is it somebody's last name? Because it is, in a, for the story of Liberty Square, it is. It's that Pennsylvania German, that that family that is the uh, the tailors of the tailor shop along with the word carver shop and the musician shop, Ichabod Crane. And most people, I think this is one that a lot of people will, will see and never make that connection to Walt too.
0: And that's it's not the only Keppel in the park now, because if you go to Frontierland uh, in one of the shops windows, you'll see a a feed bag. that says Uncle Keppel and Sons Feed and Farm Supply. So we have Keppel getting two tributes within the park.
1: And I figure as long as since we're going to mention Keppel, right, we can say that uh, he was born in 1832 in Ireland. He came over to uh, America when he was a child. When he married Mary Richardson, they had 11 children.
0: And that's a, a stunning <laughs> thought. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. 11 <laughs> children, uh, one of whom was the father to Walt and Roy, and that was Elias, who also has a window over on East Center Street on Main Street, USA.
0: Yeah, so we've got the family tree in the park, not just Walt.
1: Absolutely. Um, and speaking of parks, we mentioned at the beginning Carrollwood, the Carolwood Pacific Railroad and the reference to it at... Um, the Walt Disney World Railroad, the the Main Street Railroad Station. Certainly it's over at Wilderness Lodge as well too. But yes. recently there was another addition and I and I love this. And I love where they put it as well too. Because over in Storybook Circus, there's a reference to Carolwood Park as well, because the Carrollwood the, the the train station there that they rebuilt when they took down that oh so very temporary uh Mickey's birthday land train <laughs> station. The Carrollwood Park station totally fits in with this Late 30s, early 40s idea of this, this traveling circus coming to town. They are the most beautiful restrooms in Walt Disney World. I kid yeah, you not. Are, but it's a fun, great yeah. reference. It's a great reference. And I, and I like the fact that it's there in Storybook Circus. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was there briefly uh, in the not so surprising summer rains of, of Florida. And we made a beeline for the train station to, uh, to get back to Main Street. And I had a beautiful opportunity to take in Harrowwood Park.
1: Yeah. And trust me, go there for the restrooms.
0: <laughs> Next visit. <Stay,
1: reason. laughs> go for Stumbo, stay for the restroom. So, um and, and there's one that we really want to – we want to sort of save what I think is one of probably the most obscure and overlooked and possibly very personal to Waltz to the end. But there's one too that I think that we have to mention in specifically an attraction. And look, a lot of the attractions obviously – Walt had his hand in. Walt very much touched. The Country Bear Jamboree was Walt's last laugh, and we know about his connection to things like Pirates of the Caribbean Pirates, and yes. It's a Small World. But I, I think if, if right, but I think if we have to mention a, a specifically an attraction. I think we need to include in this list Walt Disney's not only his Enchanted Tiki Room because it is Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room, it, the audio-animatronic bird was sort of the catalyst for everything and that came from his personal travels with Lillian because Walt loved to travel, but I think more specifically Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress has Walt's hand. It has Walt's imprint on that. And you can see Walt in the queue singing along with the Sherman Brothers.
0: And that's that's that to me is also brings it all back. It's it's an old school attraction. I I hope it stays there. And um, I, I love the way that you can really touch and feel Walt's imprint.
1: And hear it. So for those kids who think Walt Disney is like Betty Crocker, you can hear him. You can still see him on screen singing with uh, Richard and Robert Sherman. So, but let's, let's go back to one that we sort of round out, Main Street, uh, round out Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom with. And that could be found on Main Street USA. And it's not where people think it most likely is.
0: That's right. Um, we're going to talk about um, if you have a want to have some more food again, you can maybe eat at Tony's Town Square and looking across the street. Well, actually, Tony's Town Square obviously is, is a reference to Lady and the Tramp. Uh, and you look across the street to the chapeau uh, hat, uh, you'll see the, you know, a beautiful pink hat box recreating a, a, a wonderful scene from the movie in which uh, Jim Deere gives his wife Darling the, the puppy from the box. And it's appropriate enough that that is a chapeau, the hat store, that's fine. That's that's kind of where the reference is, but there's more because that scene from the movie was inspired by a real-life event from Walt giving Lillian a pet dog under uh, the Christmas tree, um, a, a chow dog named Suni, I believe. And uh, hearing him tell about the story, how he had to get the... Uh, the dog into the box the box under the tree without his wife catching him and then the box then the dog starts to to wiggle within the box and catches lillian off guard lillian uh, off guard so it's a it's a sweet story how it seems to be a movie reference the movie reference is real but it was inspired by Walt himself
1: and, and that's what i love about this i love how you're able to connect the dots the, the i don't say the dogs connect the dots from Walt to Lillian to the film to you know, the hat box to the park and the hat box located directly across the street. W- one that seems to be a disconnect for most people now hopefully will help let them bring it together. So yeah. I-, I think that is one of my favorite sort of very much overlooked, very obscure Walt Disney references in the parks. Um, one that's not obscure but that's going to help us sort of go to – some of the other parks, is obviously the dedication plaque um, that's right in the center of Town Square. It was dedicated in, on October 25th by Roy O. Disney, where the statue of Roy and Minnie that's sharing the magic statue sits right in the shadow of Roy's window on Main Street, USA. But I think it's significant, and I mention it here because this plaque very much is about Walt, right? It says it's a, Walt Disney World is a tribute to the philosophy and life of Walter Elias Disney. And then it goes on to say the talents and the dedication, the loyalty of the entire Disney organization, but it's about them making Walt Disney's dream come true. This idea of creating this happy place where everyone can come together and laugh and play and learn. So that dedication is not about this theme park. It's not about what it represents. It's about a tribute to Walt Disney.
0: And and the fact that it's Walt Disney World instead of Disney World just gives it a little bit more humanity.
1: Absolutely. And I think this dedication plaque connects to one of and I'm sure we're probably overlooking more than one, but I think this is one that lets us jump over to Epcot Center because that dedication plaque as well in the very first sentence says to all to come who come to this place of joy, hope and friendship. Epcot is inspired by Walt Disney's creative visions. It's about Walt. It it brings it back full circle to Walt and how Epcot now is about human achievements and imagination and wonders and enterprise and and benefits for all and what Epcot represents. But it starts off by saying that it is about Walt Disney's creative vision. And the interesting thing, Jamie, is that when you leave that plaque and start going to some of the other ones, (laughs) like when we go over to... Disney's Hollywood Studios, the dedication plaque there does not mention Walt Disney, although it sits next to a statue of young Walt as a director at the end of Hollywood Studio, at the end of Hollywood Boulevard.
0: I know exactly what you're talking about there. Yes, he's uh, got his eye behind the lens, and uh, he's got the director's cap on, and it's it's a young dapper Walt, much like uh, he would be there there on on Buena Vista Street in Disney California Adventure.
1: Right, and, and even though it doesn't reference Walt, I mean, Disney's Hollywood Studios, yeah, we know the story about how it came about being inspired from an Epcot Center attraction, but it is, it does go back to Walt. Disney's Hollywood Studios, uh, in and of itself, goes goes back to Walt, and if you listen to some older episodes where I tour the park with uh, Charlie Ridgway, who's a Disney legend, or Jim because we talk about how Hollywood Studios goes back to what Walt wanted to bring out to the studios out in Disneyland. But there's a lot of other references to Walt here as well, too, some of which may be a little bit more apparent than others.
0: Yes, and uh, if you thought the partner statue, as beautiful as it is, is just a little bit out of um, of touch, you can't get up close to it, well, then walk over to the uh, Academy of Television Arts and Sciences Hall of Fame Plaza because there is a bust of Walt Disney, and you can pose with it. You can get up close and personal. It is there. My kids have done that. Uh, I've, I'll i do that on my next trip when they're not hogging the camera.
1: <laughs> yeah, so uh, the, the Hollywood, the uh, uh, Academy of uh, Television Arts and Science Hall of Fame Plaza located next to the American Idol Experience is a great way that you can find busts of legends of TV like Lucille Ball, Oprah Winfrey, Bob Newhart, and yeah, of course, Walt Disney. And this, honestly, Jamie, goes back not to necessarily... This statue, this bust, the sculptor, Blaine Gibson, but it it sort of was the catalyst for the partner statue as well, too, because this was created in 1962 by Disney legend Blaine Gibson, actually at the request of Dick Irvine. And so Blaine created this um, this sculpture, which he was actually not, you know, very uh, happy with. But when he showed it to Walt, Walt's like, what are you doing? Statues are for dead people. (laughs) <laughs> you know, he, didn't, he never wanted a statue of him, although at some point he obviously lost his say. But what is also unique about this is uh, if you look very carefully at it and go to the back, there is actually something that's unique about this in terms of Blaine Gibson, because this is the only statue you can find of Blaine Gibson that he actually signed. And it has his name and the date 1991 on the back.
0: And Disney fans will know the name or the work of Blaine Gibson, but not necessarily the name or the face, but famous sculpture, uh, Disney legend, legend in his own right. And here's his one signature in the park.
1: Absolutely. And I I think people this is one of the things that people have probably walked by a thousand times. And if you've never taken two minutes to stop and look for it, I I think that you should.
0: Yeah, they're all just bronze uh, busts. Uh, There are others in there. And if you if you're not looking for it deliberately, you will walk past it.
1: Absolutely. So one of, um, I, I love the obscure. Um, I, you know, these are the things that I get excited. These are the things that I look for as I go through the parks and something like a a chapeau, which might seem as though it has no connection to Walt. It's just an excuse to have uh, the hat store because that's exactly where it is on main street USA throughout Disney's Hollywood studios. We've touched on this on shows in the past. There are lots of references to, um, Hollywood lore, Hollywood legends, Hollywood fake lore, sort of this, this this, imagineered idea of this Hollywood that never was. But there's also references to real places and real people. And if you go to another one of my, we've got to bring this back to food in the Echo Lake area, <laughs> uh, across from Min and Bill's Dockside Diner, you'll find PV's Polar Pipeline, which, kids, it gets to be 113 degrees in the summer. A frozen Coke is your best friend, but there's also great references to one of my favorite Disney movies, The Rocketeer here, but I digress. <laughs> if you're looking at PV's, uh to the left and the right and around that entire Keystone Clothiers building, you'll find a number of doors. Some are false, some will lead to some cast member areas, and one of them says, Holly Vermont Realty. And believe it or not, this is a direct reference to Walt in the very, very early days of the Disney company when he couldn't afford... To have this full-blown studio and to pay rent for an entire building, he paid $10 a month at for a room at the back of a real estate office, Holly Vermont Realty. This started back in 1923, 1923 on Kingswell Avenue in Los Angeles. Again, it's so it's appropriate story-wise for being in this section of, of Disney's Hollywood Studios. It's where they began. They very quickly outgrew it. Uh, again, there's a uh, I think there's a, a show where Jim and I are walking around talking about references to Hollywood studios. I have a video I'm going to put out this as well, too, to help you kind of find it. But I, I love this because it's about Walt. It's about the brothers themselves and how they eventually sort of move from Kingswell Avenue over to Hyperion Avenue. And the Disney company just you know grows exponentially from there.
0: It's it's a fascinating story. I'm in the, the process of rereading Bob uh, Thomas's uh, biography of Walt, and We talk about the early years of Walt struggling in Los Angeles, and you uh, arrived in town with a wooden cardboard suitcase and forty dollars cash, and uh, he quickly got to business of realizing his dreams. And you got to start small, so you'd rent mm-hmm. a, a back room of a local realty office, and uh, appropriately enough, above. In the window above the door, it says for rent because Walt has
1: moved on. Walt has moved on. But if you've ever seen any of the Alice comedies, that's where they were created. I mean, in you don't need a lot of room. They were created in the back of that real estate office. So it, it sort of lets you give gives you a sense of what was created where before they started to move on to, to bigger and better spaces. So what's another one for you? What's another one of the ones that, that you find or that you like or we want to sort of point people to, references to Walt at Hollywood Studios?
0: Well, uh, my kids love the backlot tour. Um, I think they're fascinated by the catastrophe canyon, but uh, the nice tribute there, and they'll come right on say it. Uh, as you're doing the, the backlot tour, you see the corporate plane, N two three four MM. All all planes have to have a registered uh, FAA uh, code name. Appropriately enough, the Disney corporate plane is for Mickey Mouse, and uh, you know you talk about how. Walt and the, uh, the corporate leaders had to very clandestinely purchase all the land in Florida. This is the plane that helped fly them over to make the decisions, looking down on Bay Lake and seeing the, the beautiful property there. That's where, that's where he came up with the decision to uh, pick Florida. And there's a piece of actual corporate history. Walt flew in that plane, and there it is on the back tour. tour
1: yeah, and so and the other thing too was, you know, Walt had his imprint on that plane as well, too, not just because he flew in it, but he helped to contribute to the design of the plane. And Lillian chose the colors and the patterns and the materials that were going to be used in it., uh, Walt actually used to like to sit in the cockpit. He was sort of a little jump seat behind the cockpit, although I'm sure it was probably frowned on having Walt in the cockpit. <laughs> but you know, uh, that end that November two, three four Mickey Mouse, was a that tail number was actually used on a number of different planes going way back to when they had a a queen air and then a king air and then moved it over to this Gulfstream one that you have on the tour. But you're right. What I like about this is that this brings it back to that very first time, that time that Walt flew over, actually the day that President Kennedy was shot and looked down on Riles Island in Bay Riles Lake and Bayonne and said, this is it. This is where we're going to build. So that connection is not just to Walt's mode of transportation and, and you know way he would sort of travel back and forth, but really was instrumental in the selection of this location for Walt Disney World.
0: That's that's I love that little history because I've, I'm fascinated by how it all came about, Project X, uh, the, and how do you purchase 40? Three square miles without uh, getting on anyone's radar.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> not going to happen. Not going to happen. Uh, you know, in 2012, certainly. But no, no. Um, you know, I think we should mention another one too. And uh, as we sort of as I'm, as you go through some of the different attractions in Hollywood Studios, I think there's one that um, is. You know, it doesn't, people don't, you don't need to get a fast pass for it. It's not Toy Story Mania, but it's one that I love. And it's actually the magic of Disney animation. And this is one that has changed a lot throughout the years. And one of the things that I really like about this, and we covered this on show 261 in more detail, when we looked at Walt Disney and the Oscars. And in here, you can find in a display case, um, in sort of the animation gallery area, this, uh, a number of Oscars that were given to Walt Disney, including the special Oscar that was created just for him for Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs.
0: And those are beautiful. I, everyone knows the iconic scene of, of Shirley Temple giving him to Walt Disney. Aren't they just wonderful? And uh, it's, it's the 1937 feature length animation had never been done before Walt's Folly. Uh, it made history. The rest is history. So seeing these, and I believe they, these are replicas. I think the family museum has the originals,
1: right? And but the, I think there are some there. I think there's a couple that are real. There's a he re, obviously he received you know so many uh, you know a, a record-setting number of Academy Awards. You'll see some there for uh, some of like his true-life adventure series uh, in, in there as well too, or some of the other awards he would gotten for. Um, some of his other films so i think some may be real some may be replicas like the snow white ones which i believe are at the uh, the family museum
0: yes yes that's uh, another item on my any disney fans bucket list is to get out to san francisco to the presidio to see uh, the family museum up close and personal
1: we're going next year we're, we're taking <laughs> WWE Radio on the road, and we're going to San Francisco. we We need to make the pilgrimage to the Walt Disney Family Museum.
0: I think I need a fundraiser.
1: <laughs> it's a research trip. You need to research. come for for research.
0: Here, I, I'll keep that in mind.
1: There you go. So, all right. I think what we should do is, I think again, we've tried to sort of save the the you know ultimate Walt tribute at Hollywood Studios for last, and clearly that is an overlooked attraction. One that I think every Disney guest and Disney enthusiast needs to go to see more than once because of changes, and certainly it's Walt Disney, one man's dream.
0: And I cannot spend enough time in this room. Um, It is so fascinating, the timeline, the details, uh, seeing the the, miniature uh, scale models in there of of attractions, the Jungle Cruise as it was being conceived, um, the WED camera when he was giving his His uh, famous uh, Florida speech, and it's it's just a beautiful arrangement. And I encourage everyone to go see it, not just once, but as you said, multiple times, because you'll get something new out of it every time.
1: Yeah, and what I like about this is, is, like you said, it does change from time to time. It changed again recently. But I think, Jamie, what is great about this is this attraction opened in 2001, and the reason why was to celebrate not... You know, Hollywood Studios' tenth anniversary, or so. It was to celebrate the centennial of Walt Disney's birth, right? It goes all the way back to Walt with this, and I think there are so many different elements to this attraction, like you said, that, that walk through, sort of a pre. It's really kind of a pre-show area, right? Where which is yes, it really is a museum of Disney artifacts. Some are replicas; many of them are original. I love Granny's cabin, which it it is touched by Walt. Walt built this. By hand, and it takes you through a chronological journey through his life, his personal life, and his professional career. Uh, you, that replica of Walt's office from the Disney Studios, and obviously the film as well. Uh, things that you know models, right? So now the the model of Fantasyland is in there, as well as models from some of the very early Disney World and, and Disneyland attractions. Uh, I, I like the fact that it, it chronicles not just his business life but his personal life as well. Uh, and it's not just about all of his successes. It talks about some of his failures as well, which I, I which I find inspiring as well. Uh, I, I think this is something, like you said, everyone certainly needs to see, and again, I have to go back and reference show number 140, which we did, wow, three years ago. We actually did a walking tour of Walt Disney One Man's Dream, Jim Corcus and I, to give you sort of a, an audio tour of it, to give you a sense of what is in there and what you have to make sure you don't miss on your next visit.
0: Yeah, I, rem- I finally recall that episode. I listened to it multiple times just because I can't spend myself enough time in this exhibit. So hearing him retell the stories, it brought it all back to me. So this is, again, it'll be on my next trip in January. So can't wait for that.
1: And so we were talking offline beforehand, and I'm sure as soon as we're done, I'm going to bang my head into the microphone because I'm sure there's ones that we forgot. But as we were mentally going through Disney's Animal Kingdom, we were having a tough time picking out any specific mentions of walt disney we know of walt's love of nature and animals and it goes back to his true life adventure series and his desire for what he wanted the jungle cruise originally to be but specifically by name or by reference we were unable to find any so if we if we missed some i would love people to this is where the feedback
0: we need absolutely the feedback.
1: email me at lou at ww to tell us what we missed um over at Disney's Animal Kingdom. But I think it would be fun, Jamie, too. There's a couple of extinct attractions or locations that referenced Walt that were very personal to him. Why don't you take the one that you mentioned over in Downtown Disney?
0: Absolutely. Uh, Downtown Disney has been there since uh, 1975, I believe, as the, the world marketplace. And what is now Fulton's Crab House was originally the Empress Lily Riverboat and named appropriately enough after his wife, Lily. And... You know, again, to casual guests who who may knew that at the time or know it now, putting two and two together, it's just another another uh, weaving into the family history of Walt. How he his presence is felt in all four corners of Walt Disney World.
1: Yeah, and I, and what I like about this, uh, Jamie too, is that it was designed by Imagineering to really not only make it as true to life as possible, but this was named for. Walt's wife and you know we we talk about Walt we talk about Roy how instrumental Roy was Uh, the quote is true I I speak from experience that behind not that I'm saying I'm a great man but behind every great man is a great woman and Lillian certainly needs her credit and her due as well too she was there when the Lily Bell uh, the Liberty the Empress Lily greeted guests for the first time she christened the ship when it first opened and I like the fact that there are and were references to Lillian as well in the parks. Uh, The one that I was thinking of when I was thinking of Extinct Attractions takes us back to the Magic Kingdom. It takes us back to Main Street, USA. And it is, of course, the Walt Disney story. Uh, Again, like One Man's Dream, was sort of the the predecessor that told the story of his personal life and professional life. It was in what was then known as the Gulf Hospitality House, (laughs) retro, from 1973 until... 1992, they – so when you look at what is now the Town Square Theater, if you look off to the side and in the back, that theater was constructed specifically for this film. And it actually was a project that went back all the way to 1969 but didn't preview for years later, but they really wanted to accurately tell – Walt's story right so they had 75 hours of interviews and 200 people that were, were working on this production that would eventually play both in Disneyland and in Walt Disney World uh, as well too it's a shame that that is not there anymore um, because I think this was like one man's dream it, it it really was a great telling of you know Walt Disney's uh, personal story uh, it was a free attraction. So remember the A3 tickets. Yeah, books? It was actually I a do book. remember
0: those. I go back uh, that far.
1: But it really was like, unlike One Man's Dream, this was sort of like um, a photo album, right? And sort of the, as the pages would, would turn, uh, different parts of his personal life and his career would sort of come to life. And it used a lot of audio clips from Walt himself too. So that was one of the things I, I really, really used to enjoy.
0: And sadly, that's an, uh, a tribute I never got to see. I... I've been to the Magic Kingdom over the the decades, but I guess I'm always in the rush to get to Space Mountain, or uh, (laughs) (laughs) so i missed that, and uh, sadly it's no longer with us.
1: you got to slow down, man. Slow down. Slow down. Look up and look around. Uh, The other thing I think we should mention, too, are certainly some of the tours that you can take throughout Walt Disney World. Keys to the Kingdom at the Magic Kingdom is a great tour. Backstage Magic is seven and a half, eight hours. It's a long day, but it is a fascinating tour and if you go to Disneyland uh, I I need to definitely put this on my bucket list of things to do they have a walk in Walt's footsteps tour because obviously it is where Walt walked you get to see Walt's apartment you get to see at least the lobby of Club 33 you get a private lunch on Main Street USA Uh, it really sort of brings it back to Walt Disney himself, so uh, I definitely want to hit the walk in Walt's footsteps, but definitely take out some of the other tours, because they really help connect this to Walt Disney as well, too, in Walt Disney World.
0: Yeah, the, uh, the Keys to the Kingdom tour, I had the, the, the pleasure of doing several years ago. Fascinating. Not just the history of, of the Magic Kingdom, but it tells you a story about Walt and the company, and uh, what, everything that brought you up to that moment. And, uh, of course, there's the Utilidors tour, which really <laughs> makes it pretty cool.
1: Absolutely. So look, we, we hit a lot. You know, I think when people think about Walt Disney in the parks, they probably think of the partner statue. They think of one man's dream. They think of the obvious, right? But I'm sure that we there's a potential that we missed any. So if we did, let us know. Email me at lou at wdwradio.com or better yet, come to the show notes for this week over at wdwradio.com. Leave your comments there and answer the question for the week, which is simply, what is your favorite? What is your favorite tribute? or reference to Walt Disney in any of the Walt Disney World theme parks. Again, visit the comment section of the show notes. We can keep the conversation going there as well. Jamie Hecker, I want to thank you for uh, joining me this week. Again, you can find Jamie's articles and work over in Celebrations Magazine in print and on your iPad. You can check it out over at CelebrationsPress.com. We will definitely have to do this again. And next time you come down to the parks, we'll have to... Uh, do a little, we'll do some more searching. We'll do, we'll do some more wandering as we search for more references to Walt in the Parks.
0: We'll do that as long as we swing through Adventureland and get a Dole Whip.
1: <laughs> Clearly, you know me very well.
0: <laughs> I know you tours always in there, so yes. <laughs> that sounds good. It's been a pleasure and a lot of fun putting this together and working with you, and I hope our listeners enjoy this.
1: Awesome. Thanks again, buddy. Thank you.